Hello, welcome to another episode of Gospel Gal. My name is Marissa Namir, Gospel Gal, and in today's episode, I will be discussing the topics of Christian liberty and the weaker brother with my friend and co-host, Joy Dudley. He who proposes to summarize gospel teaching ought by no means to omit an explanation of the topic of Christian liberty. For it is a thing of prime necessity, and apart from a knowledge of it, consciences dare undertake almost nothing without doubting. They hesitate and recoil from many things. They constantly waver and are afraid. But Christian freedom is especially an appendage of justification and is of no little avail in understanding its power. Indeed, those who seriously fear God will enjoy the incomparable benefit of this doctrine. For as soon as Christian freedom is mentioned, Calvin writes, either passions boil or wild tumults rise unless these wanton spirits are opposed in time. Some, on the pretext of this freedom, shake off all obedience toward God and break out in unbridled license. Others disdain this liberty, thinking that it takes away all moderation, order, and choice of things. What should we do here, hedged about with such perplexities? Shall we say goodbye to Christian freedom, thus cutting off all occasion from such dangers? Nay, as we have said, unless this freedom be comprehended, neither Christ, nor gospel truth, nor inner peace of soul can be rightly known. We must preach Christian freedom. That was Michael Horton on an episode of White Horse Inn discussing the law and Christian liberty. So, Joy, I really appreciate this episode of White Horse Inn. And I think Michael Horton, through Calvin, makes it really clear that whenever we consider the topic of Christian liberty, primarily we're looking at it through the lens of justification in Jesus Christ alone. So this is not primarily a matter that we look at as conscience issues or what we can do and what we cannot do, but we're looking at our position in Jesus Christ and, you know, what comes out of that is an expression of gratitude. We'll get to that later when we are discussing um, the topic of the weaker brother. But you had some really great quotes from Martin Luther in regard to Christian liberty through the lens of justification. Why don't you kind of just introduce what you had from him? So Martin Luther wrote this little book called Concerning Christian Liberty. He made the point that the conversations about works um, can only take place in regards to understanding justification by faith alone. So one of the quotes that he wrote was this, Therefore, the first care of every Christian ought to be to lay aside all reliance on works and strengthen his faith alone more and more, and by it grow in the knowledge not of works, but of Christ Jesus, who has suffered and risen again for him. So yes, so he makes the point that justification by faith alone in Christ alone is the key to understanding Christian liberty. And in justification, we understand that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. By being justified by faith alone in Christ alone, we are now free from the tyranny of sin and the condemnation of the law. 
We now understand that the primary way to please the Lord is to believe him when he says that our sins are forgiven. And so Mm -hmm. this next quote is Luther expounding more of everything that we have been given in Christ. He says, now since these promises of God are words of holiness, truth, righteousness, liberty, and peace, and are full of universal goodness, the soul which cleaves to them with a firm faith is so united to them, nay, thoroughly absorbed by them, that it not only partakes in, but is penetrated and saturated by all their virtue. For if the touch of Christ was healing, how much more does the most tender spiritual touch, nay, absorption of the word, communicate to the soul that belongs to the word? In this way, therefore, the soul through faith alone, without works, is from the word of God justified, sanctified, endued with truth, peace, and liberty, and filled full with every good thing, and is truly made the child of God, as it is said, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. And he's referencing John one twelve. Amen. So before even thinking about what our liberty is in Christ, in terms of how we deal with our neighbors, we look to our relationship with Christ. And um, in Christ, we are forgiven and free. And I think that that is where he is going in this conversation. That for the first time, we are freed from all the power of the devil, all the power of the flesh, all the power of the world. So for the first time in our lives, we have the capacity to, to love God, love neighbor. That is true freedom. I really do appreciate how Luther also looked at this through the lens of law and gospel. In the beginning of his treatise, he mentioned that there were two words in scripture, one a precept and one a promise. And I do believe that understanding the distinction between the law and the gospel really helps us understand Christian liberty better as well. Because if we don't understand this distinction, we can't tell what it is for Christ to be for us and the work that he's performed outside of us. We can't understand what it is to actually love God and love neighbor. And those things, when they're blurred, then we get a religion of works as opposed to a religion of freedom and grace and peace and rest. I did want to read one more Luther quote on this point. And he said, And this is displayed the delightful sight, not only of communion, but of a prosperous warfare of victory salvation and redemption for since christ is god and man and is such a person as neither has sinned nor dies nor is condemned nay cannot sin die or be condemned and since his righteousness life and salvation are invincible eternal and almighty when i say such a person by the wedding ring of faith Mm -hmm. takes a share in the sins death and hell of his life nay makes them his own and deals with them no otherwise than as if they were his and as if he himself had sinned and when he suffers dies and descends to hell that he may overcome all things since sin death and hell cannot swallow him up they must needs be swallowed up by him in stupendous conflict for his righteousness rises above the sins of all men his life is more powerful than all death his salvation is more unconquerable than all hell 
Thus, the believing soul, by the pledge of its faith in Christ, becomes free from all sin, fearless of death, safe from hell, and endowed with the eternal righteousness, life, and salvation of its husband, Christ. Mm. Amen. Thanks be to God. True freedom is freedom from sin and freedom to live in Christ. Okay, and then the next thought that you had read about was Lord over all. The Christian being the Lord over all and servant to all. So at the beginning of his treatise, he wrote a pretty short quote that I'll read really quickly. A Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. It sounds paradoxical, but it's not because Luther kind of goes into, again, how we are free in the spiritual sense in the inward man, Mm -hmm. um, where he bestows upon us heavenly privileges like prayer and being a priest and being able to come before the Lord clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But then at the same time, because we have been given so much in Christ, we want to give to others to out of the abundance of what we have been given. So that's kind of the point that he was making there with that statement. So as Christ by his birthright has obtained these two dignities, so he imparts and communicates them to every believer in him under that law of matrimony by which all that is the husbands is also the wife's. Hence, all we who believe on Christ are kings and priests in Christ. As it is said, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Here he is referencing 1 Peter 2.9. These two things stand thus. First, as regards kingship, Every Christian is by faith so exalted above all things that in spiritual power he is completely Lord of all things, so that nothing whatever could do him any hurt, yea, all things are subject to him and are compelled to be subservient to his salvation. Thus Paul says, all things work together for good to them who are the called. And then he was referencing Romans 8.28 and also, whether life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ. And we can go back to prior episodes that we have done on the Lordship of Christ as well as his threefold office as prophet, priest, and king. And in the catechism and discussion of prophet, priest, and king is also expounded how it is that we are anointed as his people as prophet, priest, and king. So he's touching on the same things here. The point being, I think, how this ties in with Christian liberty is the understanding, as Joy made allusion to earlier, that because we are in Christ, then we have this great freedom to live our lives, recognizing that we have died to sin and have been made alive in Christ and pursuing the things of the Spirit. So, yes, so that was um, him showing how we are Lord over all. Mm -hmm. And then out of that position, we are servant to all. So we use our freedom to love and serve our neighbors with a good and free conscience. Because, again, um, Christ has already done the work that is needed for us to be able to fight sin with a good and free conscience. Good and free, yes. Joy, before you made allusion to how this 
is viewed through the lens of the law and gospel. Yes. So as far as the fulfillment of the law, we understand that Christ is the one who fulfilled all the law's commands in our place. How does that play out in life? And I think that we have this understanding that it is when we are living in the realities of Christ's benefits that we begin to love neighbor, which is the fulfillment of the law. So we are free to love God and love neighbor. Yes. And, you know, by all means, we understand that this obedience is imperfect in this lifetime. But by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, he enables us more and more to die unto self and to live unto righteousness, not for merit, but out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. So with that being said, let's talk about what it means to love the weaker brother. I think that this is important because we want to make sure that we have proper distinctions and definitions for who is the weaker brother. The weaker brother is not the person who is lording over you and attempting to steal the freedom that you have been given in Christ. The weaker brother is not the Pharisee, the legalist, the one that Paul discusses in the epistle to the Galatians who wants us to add things and tack on certain duties, obligations, responsibilities in order to add those to the work of Christ for justification. So that is a type of legalism if you're thinking about someone who would make the assumption that you're not a Christian because you fail to do certain things that are on their checklist of moral duties, or if you have certain conscience issues that are different from somebody else, but the assumption is that you must not be a Christian because you participate in in certain things that are just not even discussed in scripture. When we talk about the weaker brother, we're not talking about someone who is imposing new rules and regulations and equating them with God's law. The weaker brother is someone who is considering their own faith and not the faith of other people. And did you have a specific quote that you wanted to bring into the conversation with regard to the weaker brother or with regard to the Pharisee? The matter still remains uncertain unless we understand who are the weak and who are the Pharisees. For if this distinction is destroyed, I see not how in regard to offenses any liberty at all would remain without being constantly in the greatest danger. But Paul seems to me to have marked out most clearly, as well by example as by doctrine, how far our liberty in the case of offense is to be modified or maintained. When he adopts Timothy as his companion, he circumcises him. Nothing can induce him to circumcise Titus. The acts are different, but there is no difference in the purpose or intention in circumcising Timothy. As he was free from all men, he made himself the servant of all. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law to them that are without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became as to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And here he's referencing 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 22. 
We have here the proper modification of liberty when in things indifferent it can be restrained with some advantage. What he had in view in firmly resisting the circumcision of Titus, he himself testifies what he thus writes. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. I do want to add something here, actually, and that is to focus back in on what he said with regard to matters indifferent. When we talk about matters of Christian liberty, matters of conscience, we are not discussing the moral law of God or the Ten Commandments. Those are non-negotiable. Just to reiterate, we understand in the Reformed tradition that the commandments in the third use of the law are expression of love and gratitude. We are not discussing keeping moral law for justification. That's impossible to do, and that is exactly why Christ came, so that we could be justified by his works of the law. But in matters indifferent, this is where we need to be gentle with our weaker brother who is trying to suss out and to flesh out, what is it that I am allowed to do now? We don't ever want to put a stumbling block in the way of our brother who is questioning. Can I add an example of um, someone who did that with me? Absolutely. Okay. When I was in the situation that I in, um, in regards to COVID, I, I've had to take more um, precautions than most people because of the people that I live with. Mm. So when I was thinking about meeting up with a friend, my friend in particular saw things differently than I did. But one of the things that she did for me was that she considered me when asking okay, well, what can I do to make you more comfortable? And I think that right there is is a really good example of someone using their Christian liberty for the love and protection of their neighbor. And I thought that was just really kind and considerate. Yes, it's definitely a great example of matters indifferent. Not that it is indifferent to you. Rather, it is not a matter of God's moral law. It is a matter of just simply caring for and considering your brother or your sister in this case is better than yourself, which scripture makes allusion to. So why don't you continue with Calvin's thought on this? We here see the necessity of vindicating our liberty when, by the unjust exactions of false apostles, it is brought into danger with weak consciences. In all cases, we must study charity and look to the edification of our neighbor. All things are lawful for me, says he, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. First Corinthians 10, 23, and 24. There is nothing plainer than this rule. That we are to use our liberty if it tends to the edification of our neighbor, but if inexpedient for our neighbor, we are to abstain from it. There are some who pretend to imitate this prudence of Paul by abstinence from liberty, liberty, while there is nothing for which they less employ it than for purposes of charity. Consulting their own ease, they would have all mention of liberty buried, though it is not less for the interests of our neighbor to use liberty for their good and edification than to modify it occasionally for their advantage. It is the part of a pious man to think that the free power conceded to him in external things is to make him the readier in all offices of charity. 
when he was talking about the difference between Timothy and Titus mm. with the apostles, that Paul did not have Titus circumcised because he felt that he had to vindicate his Christian liberty against the false apostles and the false Pharisees who were saying that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And I think that's a really important distinction because there are people out there who like to use that term weaker brother and manipulate it and abuse it and Mm -hmm. and to bind other people's consciences when it has really nothing to do with the moral law. And I feel like the Bible is pretty clear as to what is expected of us in the Ten Commandments. And the people who Calvin was referring to and the people that Paul was adamantly against were the people that added things um, to what was already written. Yeah, I would encourage everybody to go back and listen to the White Horse episode that was cited in the beginning of this episode because there's a lot of discussion with regard to who is the weaker brother and who is the Pharisee and how we are to deal with each one of those people. They are not the same. And the people who would fall into the Pharisee category, again, are those who will manipulate scripture or will create their own rules in order to judge you. And those rules are specifically the ones that the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to throw off. In Galatians, he's very clear on this topic. There is nothing that we do that affects our justification. We are as justified now in the present as we will be in glory. That does not mean that we have the freedom or the license to sin. So when we're discussing the weaker brother, we're not talking about violation of the moral law. We are looking at matters indifferent or matters of conscience. And Joy gave us a really great example of what that means. And her sister in Christ was loving her and considering her and not wanting to put a stumbling block in her path in either direction. Another example of this that is just really super concrete in my own life is I have relatives who believe that it is wrong to participate in holidays even outside of the church. And this is a matter that I've had to really wrestle with and consider because it's been so present in my life. We are not living in Exodus. We're not living in a time where we have civil and ceremonial laws imposed on us. And we really have to be careful where it comes to matters of this nature. If someone tells me, well, maybe you're not a Christian because you're celebrating these holidays, then I can look at them and say, thanks be to God and Jesus Christ, I'm fully justified, not by whether or not I am observing a particular holiday, but because Christ has lived righteously in my place and has suffered all the wrath that I deserve and has risen again for my justification. But by the same token, we do not have the liberty to violate God's moral law. The Ten Commandments are in perpetuity. They're forever. That's why we see the concepts of them repeated throughout the New Testament. Never is it right or acceptable to worship another god. So if I'm bowing down and worshiping the Christmas tree, please correct me. For I am participating in idolatry, right? Mm -hmm. That's something different. You violated the first command. If I bow down and worship the tree, correct. 
I really liked what you had to say there about, again, being justified. And I wanted to say that the Pharisee considers not just their own faith, but judges the faith of others, and they bind others to their own consciousness, putting other Christians under the yoke of slavery and terror. Mm -hmm. As Christians, we are obligated to boldly live out our justification to show them that their ways are cruel and are antithetical to the gospel. And here, we do not need to constrict our liberty, but boldly use it to show that justification is by faith alone and Christ alone. There's that to to anyone who tells me that, I don't know, watching a certain TV show, because I watch the show, I can't possibly be a real Christian. To them, I say, I am justified by faith alone and Christ alone. And I will watch this TV show to the glory of God. And Amen. Amen. <laughs> as a good gift that he has given me because we have a free and good conscience yes yes i think it actually presents a stumbling block for a weak christian to put before them that maybe it's a sin to participate in a particular holiday if you've never considered yeah if you've never considered this before and a seemingly more mature christian approaches you with this topic and says to you, oh, are you really a Christian? Why are you celebrating a holiday that's not found in scripture? Well, that can put before a weak Christian, am I really saved? So it makes them doubt the Lord who bought them. So this is positioning a weaker brother in a place where they can stumble. So with regard to Christian liberty, Christian freedom, I will just read from the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5. He says, For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. A big amen. Amen. So let's live in the freedom and the liberty that Christ has given us, not for our own selfish gain or ambitions or desires, but in order to glorify Christ, who has loved us and given himself for us. Thank you, Joy. Thank you. And thank you for joining another episode of Gospel Gal. We hope that this episode has been a gospel encouragement to you and that you will be spurred on to love and good works. As always, you can find our sources in the episode notes on the YouTube channel and in the Gospel Gal blog. If you have not already, please like, subscribe, and share our content. We are always grateful for that. As always... We look forward to seeing you next time and bid you gospel blessings.